My name's Jen Ashby. I'm on the staff here, and it's my privilege to preach the next message in our series, Can't We All Just Get Along? Last week, Pastor Mark preached about listening. Today, I'm going to talk about speaking, the power of words, using your words. And you're going to hear some overlap in these two messages because these are two sides of the same coin. When I was in my teens and 20s, I did a lot more singing, mostly in groups, because I've really never had a solo quality voice. Nevertheless, I have had a few friends ask me to sing at their weddings, not so much based on my voice, but based on our friendship. And when someone asks you to sing at their wedding, it's an honor. And even if it's uncomfortable or it doesn't feel like your strong suit, you say yes. And that was the case when my coworker, Julie, asked me to sing at her wedding. I was nervous, but I said yes. So Julie chose this love song with which I was not familiar, and the lyrics went like this. When I met you, all my hopes and all my dreams were suddenly fulfilled. The day of the wedding came. Again, I was really nervous. And I stood at the front of that sanctuary, and I sang, When I met you, all my hopes and all my fears And I I heard it come out of my mouth and everything went into slow motion and I was trying to figure out how I could change the rest of the phrase to like make that work and I had nothing. I just, there was no easy way to fix it and so I sang, when I met you, all my hopes and all my fears were suddenly fulfilled. And you've been to weddings, you know, brides and grooms, they're just into each other. They're not paying attention to what else is going on. That was not a problem. But there were a few people in the audience who kind of had been looking at the bride and groom and then kind of looked up at me like, what? And then, of course, there's the wedding video that has this recorded for all of posterity to enjoy. Words. Man, once they are out there, for good or for bad, you can't get them back. And just like you, I have a million stories of things that I've said that I regret, things that I said that I'm really glad that I said, things that were said to me that really tore me down, and things that were said to me that really built me up. Words are powerful, and they're an integral part of relationships and getting along, which is what the series is all about. So to prepare for this message, I went to the book of Luke in the Gospels and looked at all the words of Jesus. In other words, I looked at all the red words in Luke. On the Bible timeline, Luke falls in the Gospels. And we're not going to look at all of the words of Jesus in Luke today. We're just going to pick up some of the themes from the words of Jesus in the book of Luke. I invite you to follow along on the screen. There's also a handout in front of you with all of these references if you want to look at them later. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love to give you one today as a free gift. And you can just stop at the Welcome Center on your way out. Here we go. Number one, use your words to test your heart. These are words of Jesus in Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The issue with our words is not about our lips or our tongue or our palate. It's about what is in our hearts. And sure, there are times when we get tongue-tied or we choose the wrong word inadvertently or autocorrect on our phone chooses the wrong word for us. We all have those stories, right? Those little quirks happen. But by and large, what comes out of our mouth is the overflow of our hearts. That day at that wedding, I sang all my hopes and fears because fear is what was in my heart. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And that's why Jesus is such a good and consistent example of how to use words because in his heart was nothing but truth and love. And that's what came out of his heart, out of his mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So pay attention to what comes out of your mouth because it's telling you something about what's going on inside, what's in your mind, what's in your soul. And it might be telling you something really good. Sometimes something comes out of my mouth and it surprises me in a good way. And I think, wow, Jesus must really be working in me because that was uncharacteristically gracious of me. Way to go, God. And then sometimes what comes out of our mouth is telling us a place where we still need transformation. Sometimes something will come out of my mouth and surprise me in a bad way. And I'll think, wow, that was really snarky. I better spend some time with Jesus and find out where that's coming from and how I can get more in alignment with him. Use your words to test your heart. And as you use your words to test your heart, watch for inconsistencies in what you say. One of my Facebook friends provided a perfect example of this for me in the last couple of weeks. On a Sunday, she posted a quote from A.W. Tozer that said, Be hard on yourself and easy on others. Carry your own cross, but never lay one on the back of another. Good words. And then she posted a cat video. I'm not making it up. (laughs) And then on Monday, she posted a political meme that I'm not going to repeat because I don't want to give it any more airtime. But suffice it to say, this political meme used the word hate six times. James 3, 9 through 10 says, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about listening. And what I'm saying today is also listen to yourself. Listen to what comes out of your own mouth. And listen to what doesn't come out of your mouth. Is your speech devoid of references to what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus is doing now in your life? Does your speech lack 
an expression of appreciation of others or encouragement for others or affirmation of others? If so, then it begs the question, what is that telling you about your heart? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So use your words to test your heart. Number two, use your words to connect with people. It struck me that the very first words that Luke records Jesus as saying in the Gospel of Luke are questions. In Luke 2, 49 to 50, Jesus says to his parents, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And throughout the book, Jesus asks many questions. And he does it for a variety of different reasons, but it's never because he doesn't know the answer. He asks questions to connect with people, to engage with them. He's going after relationship. Here's an example of that in Luke 9. Verses 18 to 20, he asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And then he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? He knows what they're thinking. He knows the answers. He's connecting and engaging. Another way that Jesus used words to connect with people was by using parables or stories. There are 28 of them in the book of Luke alone. And Jesus used parables for a variety of reasons, but one of them was to build bridges with people by talking with them about things with which they were familiar. Weddings and wine, farmers and crops, bosses and payday. Another way Jesus used words to connect with people was through initiating contact, being the one to strike up the conversation. He did that with Peter. He did that with Zacchaeus. He did it with some others. If we're going to do that sort of thing, that's going to require being aware of who's around us and who God might be prompting us to approach. That's going to be pretty hard to do if we're hiding in our cell phones. Pastor Mark preached last week about listening to people not to issues. And similarly, I'm saying use words to connect with people, not only to make statements about issues. Jesus did some very clear teaching on subjects. It's true. But he also used words to connect with people. I get a little nervous when I hear people say, well, they know where I stand on such and such an issue. And usually the they is a coworker or a neighbor. And when I hear that, I wonder things like this. They know where you stand on an issue, but do they know you? And more importantly, do you know them? Have you exchanged stories? Do you know who are the most important people in the world to them? And do they know that? about you? Have you used words to connect with them as a person? We train all of our small group leaders here at Derwood Alliance Church to reflect back after the group has met, reflect back on that gathering and what happened and ask these kinds of questions as you reflect back. Did, uh, who did the majority of the talking? Did just one or two people dominate the conversation or was it more or less shared? And did we talk about issues and people in an abstract way? Like, well, you know, people usually, 
Or did we talk about what's going on in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own lives? Like, well, here's a step I think Jesus might be asking me to take. Those kinds of questions aren't just for small group leaders. They're for all of us after a conversation. Reflect back and ask, did I dominate that conversation? Or did I not speak up and share like maybe I should have? Was the conversation all about the issues out there or was at least some of it about each of us and how we connect with each other or could connect with each other? Use words to connect with people. Thirdly, use words to say, God is the hero. Another thing that struck me when I looked at the book of Luke, not only were the first words of Jesus questions, the next words of Jesus that are recorded there are from the Old Testament. In Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan, and he uses scriptures from the Old Testament in his response. And then later in that chapter, in verses 18 to 21, Jesus is in the synagogue. He stands up and he reads the scripture portion for the day. It's a prophecy from Isaiah. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When you look all across the book of Luke, you can see that Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy and Psalms and Hosea and more. He referred to people in the Old Testament like Elijah and Moses and David and more. He was often referring to the kingdom of God. And all of these were a way of saying, God the Father is the hero. And he has been at work since before the beginning of time. And Jesus was honest about who he was and about his own glory. But he also took lots of opportunities to point to God the Father. Here's an example from Luke 6. Verses 35 to to 36. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now Jesus could have said, be kind because I'm kind. Be merciful because I'm merciful. And that would have been true and valid. But at least in this case, that is not what he said. He gave glory to the Father. He pointed to the Father. He's making the Father the hero of the story. And I hope that phrase is familiar to you. If you were with us last fall when we talked about gospel fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt and this whole idea about making Jesus the hero. If you are boasting about God and what he has done, you're automatically not boasting about yourself. We all know people who boast about themselves and too many conversations with them are about their accomplishments or their intelligence or their popularity, etc., etc. And those are hard people to be around after a while. Those are hard people to get along with after a while. So let's not do that. (laughs) Instead, let's use our words to say, God's the hero. Let's brag about him. For example, I didn't find God. God revealed himself to me. 
I didn't figure a bunch of things out. God showed me. In and of myself, I am not entitled to any privileges, but God has been extraordinarily gracious to me. And yes, you and I are amazing, but we're amazing because we are made in the image of God who's really amazing. What I'm saying is, instead of this, from Psalm 12, 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue, graphic. Instead of that, let's be more like this from Philippians 2.11. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hashtag share Jesus. I just had to put that in there. Now, will everyone in your life love it if you are using your words to point to Jesus? No, they won't. But at some level, if you really are humble about it, they will appreciate your humility and they will appreciate that you are not boasting about yourself. Number four, use your words to affirm. This was Jesus through and through. He used his words to affirm and advocate to a person who had leprosy and was considered unclean. For a woman who was widowed and had no sons, who was considered a non-person in her day. For uh, a child who was getting shooed away. For the lost who were not yet part of God's family. Jesus spoke to and he spoke about people who were on the margins. He embodied this scripture from Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up. And judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. When you use your words to greet someone, to acknowledge their presence and that their presence matters, when you use your words to acknowledge what something, what's going on in someone's life or to express appreciation for their contribution, all of these things are affirmation and they build up and they telegraph dignity and respect. And they increase trust. And they build a foundation upon which you can talk about more difficult things when those occasions arise. Let me tell you something very practical that I do when I'm frustrated with someone or disappointed in someone or we seem to be having a little trouble getting along. I ask God to show me how that person bears his image. How that person is on track. And then I use, uh, I find an an opportunity (laughs) to verbally affirm that to that person. Now, if I affirm you, please do not assume that I am frustrated with you (laughs) or disappointed in you, or I think we're not getting along. That's not what I'm saying, right? Because I want to be more affirming across the board and at all times and in all seasons. But what I'm telling you is when there's a rub, you ask God what you can affirm because there is always something you can affirm. There is always something you can affirm. Using your words to affirm will go a long way in building relationships and helping us to get along. Number five, use your words to challenge wisely, or Pastor Mark might say for thoughtful engagement. So I'm not saying we need to affirm everything and never challenge anything. 
Jesus certainly challenged, and he challenged a lot of the same people that he affirmed. And wow, was he wise about it. Even when he was clearly angry, he was never out of control. Always deliberate, always intentional. And he had this amazing capacity to just sort of hold up the mirror to people and let them look into it. And they saw what they needed to see. Jesus could take a very confident but very wrong opinion and flip it on its head so skillfully. For an example of this, see Luke 7, verses 40 to 50. In this scene, there's a Pharisee who has invited Jesus to his home for dinner. And then he deliberately insults him by not doing the things that are customarily done for a guest. And then when a woman with a reputation for sin shows up and Jesus allows her to wash his feet, this Pharisee is just disgusted. And here's what Jesus does. He tells a parable, he asks a question, and then he just objectively reports back what the Pharisee had done and what the woman had done. He's just holding up the mirror for the Pharisee to look into. And when you read the text, it looks like the Pharisee was silenced. I highly recommend the work of Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and emotionally healthy relationships. They've got a chapter called Fight Cleanly. And in it, they list some of the uh, dirty fighting tactics that we are to avoid. And they include this, silent treatment, name-calling, sarcasm, avoiding, shouting, passive-aggressive behavior, and showing contempt. And then in contrast, they outline some steps for a clean fight process. Now, fight is kind of an intense word. So just think about it like this. Think about it as steps for addressing conflict in an interpersonal relationship, okay? And these don't apply exactly to every conflict, but there's something to be gleaned here, okay? Here are some of the steps. State the problem. I notice... State why it is important to you. I value this because this. State your request clearly, respectfully, and specifically, including details like times and dates, if that's part of what you really are hoping for, asking for. Ideally, I stress the word, ideally, (laughs) the listener will consider your request. They'll share their own perspective. And they'll let you know whether they're willing to do all or part or none of what you're asking for. And they might offer an alternative. And you might need to go back and forth a few times until you can come to an agreement or decide to let the issue rest. Now again, I know this does not apply to every conflict. But there are some themes here in the area of challenging wisely that I think we need to hear. And they include being objective. I've noticed X. Sharing your values and listening to somebody else's values. Speaking respectfully and specifically. Offering a solution. What is it you want them to do? And when appropriate, compromising. 
If we're going to get along, we need to use our words to test our hearts. Use our words to connect with people. Use our words to say, God's the real hero. Use our words to affirm as much as possible. And use our words to challenge wisely. And sometimes, this is the last one, number six, we must seal our lips. Jesus demonstrated that sometimes it's best not to use words at all. Sometimes the best thing to do is to be quiet. Jesus had the best defense anyone could possibly have. He was the sinless son of God. But he often chose not to defend himself, but rather to just seal his lips. Acts 8.32 says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There are many times when the best choice that I can make is just to keep my lips sealed. Sometimes that's because what would come out of my mouth would be bad. Sometimes it's because what would come out of my mouth would not be received by that other person. They're in no place to hear it. And at best, it would be a waste of words. And at worst, it would be counterproductive. It would make things even worse. Proverbs eleven twelve says this. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Seal your lips. Well, ironically, I've said a lot of words this morning about words. So I just want to give you a little space to reflect. And to do that, I'm going to ask you to get comfortable and close your eyes or not. And take a couple of deep breaths. I'm going to guide you in a little time of silent prayer here. I just want you to hear God say to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love and you are mine. Just rest in God's love for a few seconds. Now ask God to show you his perspective on the words you've spoken so far this weekend. Ask him to show you his perspective. Now think back through the conversations you've had so far this weekend in person or on the phone or in a text, what you've posted online. And as you do that, acknowledge where you used words well to connect with others, to point to Jesus. Thank God for speaking through you. Celebrate the way he works in and through you. Also acknowledge where you did not use words well. Where your words created distance with people unnecessarily or where you were silent when it would have been better to speak up. Confess that sin to God and receive his forgiveness.
Is there someone else you need to apologize to and ask for forgiveness? If so, then resolve to do that. Is there someone you need to circle back to and say something more to, like a word of affirmation or appreciation? If so, then resolve to do that. Amen. If you'd open your eyes and look up at the screen, I'm going to invite you to pray this with me out loud and slowly. This is a verse from the book of Psalms. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.